1850, a 39-year-old mother of seven published a novel that would shake the nation. Living in Cincinnati, which at the time was a free state, the state of Ohio, she had witnessed firsthand the horrors of slavery that took place just across the river in the state, the slave state of Kentucky. She claimed the vision for her novel came to her as she was receiving communion on a Sunday in church. And as she penned the novel, she made no apologies that she believed her pen was under the divine influence of God himself. I'm talking about Harriet Beecher Stowe and her novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. The novel chronicles the journey of two different slaves in two opposite directions. One storyline follows Uncle Tom further and further south as he's sold down the Mississippi River and finds himself languishing in the swamps of Louisiana, eventually ending in a cruel death. The other storyline follows Eliza Harris, whose son was meant to be sold to a wicked slave trader, but who instead decided to bolt in the night in a desperate attempt to make it all the way from Kentucky to freedom across the border in Canada. Night and day, her harrowing journey is dogged by vicious bounty hunters, men who are paid to bring back runaway slaves, dead or alive. From the start, it becomes clear that Eliza's escape is doomed without the help of others. Fellow slaves from her uh, plantation lead the bounty hunters on a wild goose chase that gives her time to get a head start. The owner of a boarding house on the banks of the Ohio River takes her and her son in that frightful evening. After crossing the Ohio River, a friend helps her up the bank and takes her to the house of Senator Byrd, who then whisks her away to a farm out of harm's way. Eventually, she finds herself in a settlement of anti-slavery Quakers who hatch a plan to get her, her son, and her runaway slave husband, who joins them, north to Canada. Risking life, limb, and property, the Quakers narrowly escape the bounty hunters, even exchanging gunfire with these men before managing to get the Harris family on board a ferry going across one of the Great Lakes and landing on the distant shore in the free land of Canada. At last, clear and full rose the blessed Canadian shores, shores charmed by a mighty spell, with one touch to dissolve every incantation of slavery, no matter in what language pronounced or by what national power confirmed. What we find in this novel is that the deliverance of these three seemingly insignificant individuals was the result of one united Herculean effort of individuals who were not content to simply sit around in their parlors and talk about the evils of slavery, but who were intent on actually doing something about it. Because the salvation of George, Eliza, and Harry Harris would have been impossible without the help, the intervention, and the kindness of human 
flesh and blood saviors. Friends, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 19. If you're a visitor this morning, you're joining us right in the middle of our journey through the book of 1 Samuel. In chapter 19, we find our protagonist, David, in a predicament somewhat similar to Eliza and her family, fleeing for his life from house to house, hotly pursued by a villainous man who wants nothing to do nothing more than to run him through with a spear. And strange as it may seem, David, who we normally think of as the hero of the story, the Savior, the future King of Israel, in fact, finds the same thing to be true for himself. If there is any hope for his deliverance, any hope of salvation, it has to come through human flesh and blood saviors. Men and women who are not content to stand by and say, it really is a shame what Saul's trying to do to David, but who actually intervene, interject, insert themselves into the narrative, into the story on behalf of David, risking their own lives in the process. And ultimately, we find that this is actually how the Lord himself operates. He saves through the concerted, united, and divinely appointed effort of human saviors. Brothers and sisters, he has rescued us through a human Savior. So our story picks up in 1 Samuel 19. If you found it, why don't we stand together as we honor the reading of these words, which truly are penned by the influence of the Spirit of God. Verse 1, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. 
Makal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He's sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him to me in bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Now, David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Siku and asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, Is Saul also among the prophets? You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his inspired, holy, perfect word in our midst. What we have this morning is the story of one man's flight for his life. But in his quest for salvation and deliverance and rescue from his bloodthirsty enemy, we find three individuals who play an integral role in helping David make his escape. First, Jonathan rescues David. Then second, Michal rescues David. And then thirdly, Samuel rescues David. So let's look at how the Lord uses these three characters together to save David's life. If you were here last week, and if you weren't, I'll get you caught up in chapter 18. It ends on a very sour note for Saul. He tried in various beguiling ways to get David to basically fall on the sword of the Philistines, sending him on these impossible missions in hopes that he would get killed on the battlefield. But not only did David not lose his life, but Saul lost his own son Jonathan to David, the people of Israel and Judah to David, and his own daughter Michal to David. Because they all loved David. And this only served to further infuriate and enraged Saul. And as the chapter comes to a close, Saul is breathing murderous threats under his breath against David, while David only seems to have more and more success, which makes all the people in his life love him all the more. And why? Chapter 18 tells us, because the Lord was with David, and he wasn't with Saul. So, our story opens in chapter 19 as Saul decides... We're going to take a more direct approach here. Enough with the Philistines. They haven't proved to be reliable. I'm going to muster my own troops. And he says, new battle plan. 
Stop this fighting with the Philistines. It's time for Operation Liar Boy. You all have one objective for this mission, and it's to kill David. Well, unfortunately for Saul, he doesn't know it yet, but he will come to find out that there is a traitor in their midst. His son, Jonathan. We know from chapter 18 that Jonathan has actually taken league with David, has covenanted in love and fidelity to serve David as the true king of Israel and not his father Saul. So Jonathan immediately runs off and warns David of the plot that his father has hatched, helps him to hide himself, and then uses his place of influence in his father's court to try to go and persuade him to change his mind. Look at verse 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought only good to you. For he took his life in his own hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? We hear Jonathan as he's seeking to rescue David, seeking to save David's life. He sounds a bit like a lawyer who's laying out his case before the king. All of his arguments. Number one, it's a sin. Thou shalt not murder. You shouldn't do it, Dad. It's against God's commandments. And if that wasn't enough, argument number two, David hasn't done a single thing wrong against you. In fact, ever since the day you brought him into your house, David has done nothing but exceedingly good things for you. He fights all your battles. He comes into your court and soothes you with song whenever you're tormented by demons. He has been utterly loyal to your crown. If that's not enough, thirdly, that we're talking about the man... Who felled the Philistine? Who can forget chapter 17? The man who with a sling and a stone killed the greatest enemy of God's people. Do you remember that, Dad? And do you remember how happy you were on that day? You yourself were hooting and hollering and rejoicing like the rest of us. Number four, he says, so why would you sin like this? He's innocent There's no cause for his execution. Don't kill David. And by the mercy of God, Jonathan's argument miraculously moves the heart of his father. Verse 6. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So verse 7, Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as before. So that's our first episode and we find Jonathan saves David. However, it didn't take long for King Saul to get worked up again. And what is it that really stirs Saul and rakes his coals like nothing other? It's envy. All it takes is for David to have a little more success out on the battlefield to remind him of that song he replays over and over again. In his mind, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. 
So David, just doing his thing, goes back out on the battlefield. He's winning great victories. The Bible tells us he struck a great blow against the Philistines. And Saul begins to think, you smug little shepherd boy, I'll show you a great blow. And he's there. He takes his spear once again. And he tries to thrust it through the heart of David. But the Bible tells us David was able to evade. You can picture that that spear just sticking straight in the wall. David escapes into the night. And in verse 11, our second human savior comes into the picture. This time, it's not Saul's son. It's Saul's daughter. Michal saves her husband David. Look at verse 11. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. The story tells us that McCall did something clever. We had, have kind of a, a Ferris Bueller situation going on here. If you've seen the, story, seen the movie. She, uh, she takes some kind, of, uh, some kind of figure they have in their house. You know, I like to picture maybe an oversized teddy bear. And she clothes it. And she puts some hair on it. And she tucks it into bed. The next morning, Saul's messengers, they come barging into the door and say, Where's David? Come to arrest him. And she keeps them out of the room and says, you don't want to go in there. David's sick. It's contagious. He's not feeling well. Come back tomorrow. So the the servants go back to Saul. They report what's going on. And Saul says, I don't care if he's sick. You bring him here on a stretcher if you have to. Bring him to me and I'll put him to death. You wake up that liar boy. So they go in. They barge into his bedroom and they're trying to shake him awake and they pull the sheets off and sure enough, it's not David. It's a giant teddy bear with a goat hair pillow and wearing David's little jammies. How did we not realize this before? And in rage, Saul realizes not only his son has betrayed him, but now his daughter as well. They're in league against him. In all their efforts, To rescue David. Well, while Saul's minions were arresting a teddy bear, David, we're told, makes his flight and he escapes in the direction of Samuel's house. Verse 18. Now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. So we had Jonathan. He saved David. And then we had... Saul's daughter, Michal, David's wife, she saved her husband, David. And here's our third human savior, the stalwart, the brave, the righteous, the godly priest, Samuel. Well, it's only a matter of time before word gets back to Saul where David has escaped to. He finds out where David is staying and verse 20 tells us, Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. And the messenger makes his way back to Saul, reporting, Sir, our troops have been neutralized. What? How? By what army? By what weapon? Well, not troops or weapons, sir. They're prophesying. What? 
Well, it seems they've been overcome by the Spirit of God, sir. Send more men. The next day, a whole other troop of messengers comes, and the Bible tells us the same thing happened to them. The next day, send more men. The same thing happens to them, sir. They too are prophesying. Saul says to himself, Do I have to do everything around here? Verse 22, Then he himself went to Ramah. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 19. We find Saul walking a very familiar path. A path he first wandered in search of lost donkeys back in chapter 9. This time, he's in search of a lost shepherd boy. He comes to a well, a familiar well, where he asks a very familiar question. Where is Samuel the seer? And David, that traitor. They point him along to Naoth, to a familiar house. And as Saul draws near to Samuel's house, he encounters the same school of prophets who years before had celebrated with him his anointing as the king of Israel. And as feeble, elderly Saul steps between Saul and David, the Spirit of God rushes upon Saul not to empower him this time, but to disarm him. Verse 24 tells us, And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, for the second time in Saul's life, the proverb becomes true, Is Saul also among the prophets? We've seen three human saviors this morning intercede on behalf of David. Each at a strategic place and a strategic moment to save the life of the future king of Israel. Jonathan, Michal, and Samuel. However, it's when the Lord himself intercedes on behalf of David, neutralizing the attack of Saul, that we realize these are not three independent actors. This, these are not three coincidences or three strokes of good luck. But that through Jonathan, through Michal, through Samuel, the Lord himself is working to deliver David. Friends, while it may be blatantly obvious, and we can see it plainly in 1 Samuel chapter 19, this is actually the truth throughout the entire scriptures. God is using human actors, human saviors, in order to advance His plan and to deliver His chosen ones. Think of all the actors that grace the pages of Scripture. Moses, Gideon, Samson, Samuel, David, Solomon, Nehemiah. Brothers and sisters, we have to realize that this is the story not only of David's salvation, but also of our own. Do you realize that the person 
Saul is seeking to exterminate would go on to be the great, great, great grandfather of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a story not just about the deliverance of David. This is not just three coincidences. This is God using human saviors to save and deliver and preserve the life of His chosen King who would one day give birth to the Savior of the world. Brothers and sisters, God has used human actors to steal, steer all of history, to intercede, to act, to be moved by His Spirit. People placed in strategic places at strategic moments so that at just the right time, the Son of God might be able to come and die for ungodly people like you and me. Ponder your own salvation for a moment. Wasn't it the result of concerted efforts of lowercase s saviors in your life? It was the work of a Sunday school teacher perhaps and a believing mother, maybe a faithful preacher or a revival evangelist, maybe a co-worker who just regularly was sharing the gospel with you as you worked side by side. Maybe you experienced a crisis and there was a friend who entered into your life with love and intentionality to help you. Maybe you had a coach, a teacher, a youth pastor who took you under their wing. All of these people were being used by God to rescue you from sin and darkness and to bring you to the capital S Savior, Jesus Christ. We all have a story. And it's riddled with these kinds of people. People like Jonathan, McCall, and Samuel. Who would not stand idly by. Who interposed themselves in our story. So that we might see the face of Jesus Christ our Savior. If you have not repented and believed in Jesus this morning. Let me tell you something. It is no accident that you're here. It's no accident that whether you were invited by a friend or brought here by believing parents, it's no accident that you have people in your family who are praying over you and with you that God would save you day in and day out. It's no accident, kids, that you have Sunday school teachers who are faithfully telling you about Jesus and praying for the salvation of your soul week after week. It's no accident that I am here this morning telling you this, There is salvation in no other name. Salvation is nowhere else other than in the name of Jesus Christ. It's no accident. You see, the Lord is using all of these people in our lives in order to save you, to rescue you, to preserve you. Because He is using those people emboldened by His Spirit filled with the Spirit of God and their mouths proclaiming the Word of God in order to draw you to the only human who has ever been able to save other humans. And that's the person, Jesus Christ. It's not me. It's not your parents. It's not you. Not even King David, as mighty and amazing as he was. It was the son of David, a human savior named Jesus. The Bible tells us that he lived a perfectly sinless, righteous life, doing good. 
healing, teaching, shepherding, all from a heart of compassion and love, interposing himself into the storyline of history. Not content to sit idly by and say, wow, those sinners, I really wish I could do something for them. Someone really should do something about that. Unlike David this morning, when men pursued his life and wanted to put him to death, the courts were rigged and there was no one to stand and make a defense for him. All of his friends and family abandoned him. In fact, the priests themselves were the ones who delivered him up to be slaughtered. He did not escape. He gave himself up willingly. He was arrested, condemned, beaten, mocked, executed publicly on a cross, proclaiming to be the rightful king of Israel, the son of David. More than that, he was put to death because he claimed to be more than merely human. He claimed to be the son of God. The anointed Messiah on that cross didn't overcome his enemies with a sword or a spear. He overcame them with one word. Forgive. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it was with that one prophetic word spoken by the Spirit-anointed Son of God when he said forgive. God did. The one who was speared through his heart, stripped naked before the entire universe. One little word from his mouth mouth felled all of sin and death. They locked his body in a tomb, but on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead in victory and power, bestowing his salvation on all who call upon his name. So if you are not a believer this morning, friend, kids, we as members of this church and your parents and your Sunday school teachers and all of those who believe are working in concerted effort and believe that the Lord Jesus is working through us to save you and to draw you to Jesus and to find salvation in his name. Will you repent and believe today? As we finish... I want us to ponder what role God might be calling you to play in his great plan of salvation. It wasn't enough for the northerners in Uncle Tom's cabin to hate slavery with everything they were and feel really bad for runaway slaves. They had to get involved. They interceded. It wasn't enough for Jonathan, McCall, and Samuel to feel really bad about what Saul was trying to do to David. They interceded. They got involved. They acted. Today, many churches in our nation are celebrating Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's the 46th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, a Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion for all nine months up to the point of delivery in all 50 states of the United States. The latest statistic I mentioned earlier in 2016, 885,000 children were aborted. It's not enough for us to hate abortion. It's not enough for us to wish that it wasn't the law of the land. Who among us is willing to step into the battlefield? Who will intercede? Where are the Jonathans, men and women who will make their case in the courts of law, who will defend the innocent, who will argue for the value of their lives, who will advocate 
for those who cannot speak, for the downtrodden and the oppressed? Will we elect men and women who look and act like Saul? Or who advocate for the poor, the unborn, the defenseless, and the oppressed like Jonathan? Where are the McCalls? Men and women who intercede, who enter into the broken homes of America. The fight for life is won in homes where Christians are willing to help women escape from domestic abuse. Who will help these families find stability and support where men are confronted in their sin so that they can repent, believe, and become men who lead their homes and love their wives and children. Where are the Samuels? Where are the Spirit-filled men and women who will proclaim the truth of the Gospel that every man and woman, no matter how old, how young, is made in the image of God. That God Himself has come down to save us in the person of Jesus. That now we march forth into our communities with strength and boldness by His Spirit in an eternal life that is making a constant advance on the powers of darkness. Friends, God uses human saviors. Will you be one of them? Our church supports a vital ministry here in Newberry. We heard about them earlier, LifeBridge, a pro-life Christian ministry that is bent on bringing life and health and peace to storm-tossed families and relationships. It's a ministry that advocates for the unborn, but so much more than that, advocates for mothers and fathers who recognize the need for repentance, that there is only hope and eternal life in the name Jesus Christ. If you're looking for a place where you can begin to interpose yourself into the storylines of others who need human saviors, who need people who are going to say, I'm going to be here for you, I'm going to fight for you, I'm going to bring you to the capital S Savior, Jesus Christ. Life Bridge is a great place to begin. Go stop by 1510 Main Street. Go talk to Katherine Johnson, our executive director. Go online, lifebridgesouthcarolina.org and get signed up to become a monthly partner with that ministry. What mother will be rescued through your kindness? What family will be turned around because you are willing to intercede with the love of Christ, not willing to simply stand by and say, oh shucks, that's terrible, but to actually get involved, to act. The Lord has become our human capital S Savior, and He is using lowercase s saviors to draw all men to Himself. Will you be one of them? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that we would be those who interpose our lives, who, who interrupt the lives of those we love, our neighbors, those you've placed here in Newberry, who are fleeing for their lives in one way or another. That we would not be so consumed with our own life, our own concerns, even to the preservation of our own comfort but that we would step out, step forth, and put our foot down in the lives of others with the love of Christ and say, I'm going to advocate for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to help you. And with the Lord's help, you will be saved. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were the supreme Savior. And without you, there is no hope for any of us. But as ambassadors of Christ, Send us forth in this community, making your appeal to, through us, be reconciled. 
to God. In Jesus' name we trust and pray. Amen.